Hi guys, uh, this episode of That B Word actually has a sponsor, and I'm excited to say it's somebody who's actually been on the podcast before. Our sponsor today is Amanda Smith, and she is hoping that you'll visit her website www.hopeforbpd.com slash my dash dialectical dash life dash dbt dash self-help. Uh, dialectical is spelled D-I-A-L-E-C-T-I-C-A-L. And it's a really cool little service that she's put together where every day she'll send you an email that's going to have a lot of little helpful information on a theme regarding one aspect of DBT practice. And I've been looking at a few of these over the past few days and they're really cool. And um, I think that And I think they're actually really helpful. So check it out. Go to www.hopeforbpd.com slash my-dialectical-life-dbt-selfhelp and uh, check that out. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Let me know what you think. And thanks for downloading that B Word podcast. This is your beautiful bipolar host, Becky. Well, I'm still sick. <laughs> you can probably hear the frog in my throat. Um, but I am persevering to bring you a podcast today. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Hold your applause, please. Uh, so I had a topic that I wanted to bring to you guys' attention. Uh, I was hoping that I could get a little feed, a bit of feedback from my audience on this. I recently have been speaking to some people online about the effectiveness of seeking support online through things like Twitter and Facebook groups and things like that. Personally, I would leave the Facebook groups out of it. I think they're terrible. It's like looking into a big black hole filled with people screaming, unpleasant. So my personal pick would be Twitter or um, the Bipolar Party, bipolarparty.com. But I wanted to know what you guys thought about that. Um, It was brought up up to me that it's not all that effective. Um, And... I don't feel like I'm in a place really to, you know, disagree because I do have a support system outside of social media. You know, I I have my husband, I have my parents. And while maybe they don't always know exactly what to do and they don't exactly understand everything that I go through, they do, they do try to support me and they want to support me and they will listen. Whereas some people online is all they have. And so I'd like to see what you think about the effectiveness of social media as a support tool. All right. Next. It's been an interesting few days. Now, for this cold, originally, the doctor prescribed me a pack of 
steroids of prednisone. I don't know if you guys know much about steroids, but evidently one of the side effects is euphoria. And let me tell you, it sure is. I was, I'm not sure if I could say that I was manic or if it was some sort of drug induced mania, but I felt really, really good (laughs) aside from being snuffly and sick. Um, for the first couple of days I was on that pack of prednisone. And then if you don't know how it works, they give you a huge dose up front and then you gradually taper down. So as I started to taper down, I started noticing my irritability going up and up and up and up and up. So that's not something I had considered prior to, you know, taking this because I've taken prednisone before and I don't I don't recall it affecting me like that before but then again I wasn't exactly looking for it at the time either so but that's something to keep in mind if you ever get sick and are prescribed prednisone watch out for a little bit of mania other than that life is a topsy-turvy little pinwheel. My dad's back in the hospital, and I know you guys are probably sick of hearing me talk about it, so I'm going to keep it short. But since I've been sick, I couldn't go up to see him, and that's really kind of put a damper on my mood as well. Being sick, coming off prednisone, my dad's in the hospital. Ugh. I just have not been able to perform ordinary functions as required, <laughs> but still, I'm still here, still working through it. So I'm going to go straight into the interview for today. Um, it's with Aubrey Good, and she is works with the International Bipolar Foundation, and we had a really good. Um, discussion about some mutual interests and I hope that you enjoy it. I have Aubrey Good from the International Bipolar Foundation on the line. Hi Aubrey, how are you? I'm well, thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. So I was going through um, some of your bio and stuff and I noticed that part of your advocacy is based around the um, improvement of mental health outcomes in prisons and jails and that that caught my attention because I've been trying to bring some of that attention with my podcast as well what have you been doing in that realm um so basically I have um, some experience I have a loved one who is um currently incarcerated has been for 14 years oh no I'm sorry so yeah so um and actually, um, his arrest is, is probably what triggered the majority of my symptoms. Um, I do believe that my bipolar disorder probably would have come out eventually in a different way had it not been this case. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, the trauma of this experience uh, really brought that out. And um, 
And so over the last 14 years, as I've listened to his experiences and all of the horrible things that happen within our criminal justice system, um, I took a personal interest in this. And um, as I've gotten older, I've realized how many people are in prisons that are mentally ill and would probably not be there uh, had they had the correct care. Mm-hmm. Um, a majority of these people with the mental illness are also low income or um, uh, uneducated on mental health. And so what I've really been trying to do is kind of expand access to uh, free educational materials um, on mental illness. Now, Mm -hmm. I do work for International Bipolar Foundation. So what is at my current disposal is our free book, Healthy Living with Bipolar Disorder, And we have been working on trying to facilitate it so that inmates can um, write us and say, hey, you know, we might have bipolar disorder or we have it. Could we please get this book and we'll send it to them for free? Um, So that is kind of the biggest thing I'm working on right now. It's really hard when you're dealing with such a corrupt system. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's overwhelming. Like, where do you start? Where can you possibly start? And um, I think... I've kind of come to terms with, I can't overthrow the system. So we, right now we need to work with what we've got. And right. one way is to, to donate. I mean, whether it's mental health um, books written by clinicians or even just memoirs of people who live with mental illness, just getting those books to prison so that the incarcerated can kind of teach themselves. And um, I firmly believe the more we educate them, the less likely it is they'll return to prison and they can actually self-advocate for themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've spoken to a few um, sheriffs and, and commissioners around the country about the, the mental health conditions in their prisons and jails. And, you know, to varying degrees, um, some of them are are working towards at least getting a better um, housing situation underway. Um, but right. I've heard a lot of talk about the mentally ill or uh, just being put in solitary confinement pretty much all the time. Have you heard about that? Right. Yeah, I have. And actually, um, the problem the, the problem I see with that is I don't think it's always a case of correctional officers doing this as a punishment per se, I just believe that there is no um, method for handling the mentally ill. Mm-hmm. Like no prison. safe place so for them. They believe, yeah, they believe that this is basically the best way to keep them protected when in fact, I mean, coming out left and right, this is a violation, mm-hmm. you know, constitutional violation that it's torture and causes severe um, mental illness. One story of this, where um, Solitary actually gave somebody a mental illness was the Khalif Browder story. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. I don't believe so, no. He was a 16-year-old boy, really, a 16-year-old teenager who was placed in prison and he was too uh, poor to afford bail. And he was in prison for three years despite being innocent. Mm. And they kept him in Solitary most of the time. And when he got out, he was suffering from psychosis and PTC and, and all sorts of delusions um, because of the solitary confinement, he ended up 
taking his own life, uh, which is very tragic. But, you know, you think about that and then somebody who actually does suffer from depression, bipolar, um, schizophrenia, that's just, you know, quadrupling the amount of trauma mm-hmm. uh, within the solitary. So, I mean, one thing I, I'm a big advocate on and I'm still trying to find out the best way to go about this is correctional officers need mental health training. Um, I've been doing a lot of research on this and talking to some correctional officers, and it turns out if it's offered, it's usually uh, it's um, optional. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, and so and not everybody's offered this. Um, and so I think that in itself doesn't make sense if, you know, 60% of people in prison are suffering some sort of mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and and then you have correctional officers who aren't clinicians. This isn't their job to handle those with mental illness. You're asking them to take on this, you know, huge problem and they're ill-equipped, which also causes them, you know, some PTSD trauma, et cetera. And it's just a vicious cycle. Yeah. Not to mention, I believe that some of the issues, at least for some of the people I've talked to, is that there just aren't any psychiatric beds available as well. And so the prisons kind of become a de facto mental health uh, place where just, you know, place to put people with mental health problems. Right. And, you know, another um, huge problem is that, you know, one of the best ways to overcome mental illness, you know, inside or outside of the prison system is having a great support system and access to care. And what happens a lot of the time with prisons, especially the poor, is they are placed in, institutions that are maybe six hours away from their family mm-hmm. and so they might not get visitors ever or it might take their family a month to be able to visit them and, and it's very infrequent um and so not only are you then housing them in improper conditions but then you're keeping them from their support system and isolating them and making them even more lonely so um you know the whole thing is just so tragic and um, I think, you know, there, there's so many levels to it. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we need to talk about this issue outside of the prison before they get to the prison is when, you know, you need to nip it in the bud. And right. part of that is, is discussing with our police officers how to handle these situations. Right. Yeah. It's difficult to know where to begin with a such complicated situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the best that I can do my little... <laughs> My little crusade on this, and you know, because I don't have a formal education in criminal justice or any of that in right. experience, but it's mostly you know just talking to people. And um, when I get a chance, I have a bunch of friends who are police officers, and and um, when I talk to them and I hear them saying things that might not be completely correct, like one major issue I always hear is confusing mental health with mental illness. Mm-hmm. And so I'll say, no, 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 like you kind of got the right idea here, but mental illness is a disorder and illness, you know, schizophrenia, ADD, um, OCD, bipolar, et cetera, mental health, everybody has. And until, you know, um, the people in power and the people enforcing these laws, they understand that everybody has mental health. Not everybody has mental illness. There's a difference and they need to be treated differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we can move past the 
past this issue with incarcerating the mentally ill in a productive manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and one example of that is, is the mass shooting. The mm-hmm. mass shooting situation. Um, it's been really hard for me because I keep hearing my friends and, and loved ones and all these people with great intentions saying, "Yeah, we support mental health initiatives and we support those with mental illnesses." But then a mass shooting happens, and they go, "Oh, it's mental illness," and you're like, "Whoa, whoa, wait, no!" Like you mm-hmm. just progr- or, uh, degressed <laughs> on this stance <laughs> you're claiming you understand, and then I realize, wow, people really aren't getting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, it's really difficult, especially when it's your loved ones saying these kinds of things. Because you're bipolar, <laughs> is that? Uh, am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, or I should say you have bipolar disorder. I'm really bad about that. It's okay. Um, I understand. I mean, if somebody says to me, like, this is how I prefer it said, I'm like, okay, got it. I'll respect that. But I think it comes down to semantics, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, essentially. I agree. Um, and you're a vet as well, aren't you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Are you doing anything with the International Bipolar Foundation to, um, as far as veterans' mental health goes? So um, all of our resources are online for free. And so what we kind of have been doing is talking with different organizations and saying, hey, just so you know, we have these resources for free um, that that's in need can use. Mm-hmm. Um, veterans are, are kind of a difficult, we're working on it, but veterans are a difficult community to break because um, PTSD is, kind of the biggest thing that's talked about with veterans, even though there are plenty who suffer from other mental illnesses. However, mm-hmm. they don't come out about it until after their discharge, usually because they could lose their career. Um, the military is not very friendly towards any kind of mental health needs. So it's kind of a delicate balance, and it's really trying to get people to overcome that stigma within the military community and and realize it's okay to talk about your depression or bipolar, et cetera. Um, I'm in a, in and out of, um, group therapy at the VA out here in San Diego. And it's amazing how many people found out they were bipolar in the military, but waited until years after they were discharged to get help. Mm. And it's usually at rock bottom, you know, um, as you can, um, I don't know how it is where you're at, but like in San Diego, we have such a horrible homeless crisis and a lot of them are mentally ill veterans who just never sought help and unfortunately self-medicated mm-hmm. yeah that's got to be a difficult uh, difficult population to reach out to and get information to yeah and it's hard right now to um, i kind of mentioned the mass shooting earlier but a lot of people aren't aware that when you start to stigmatize mental illness in situations like this it causes communities such as the military veteran community and police officers, et cetera, mm-hmm. it causes them to close themselves off. So where somebody would typically say, you know, I think I have depression and, and I need to get help. Now they're worried. Maybe they own guns and they're worried. Oh no, like people are going to think I'm a psycho or, you know. Right. Um, yeah. Or they could so be afraid that they'll lose all their property or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Or just simply that they won't be accepted anymore and they'll lose, you know, with officers, I was worried about police officers with PTSD. They're not going to admit that they have these issues if they think they're going to lose their job. 
you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, so these are communities that are very, very difficult to, to handle, especially with their suicide rates are just so astronomically high. Um, and you know, do you so think I, that's okay. due? Oh, sorry. Um, do you think that's due to undiagnosed or untreated mental illnesses, or do you think that's a stress related con- due to the conditions of their jobs and lives? Um, I think it's a combination. Like in all of my research, it does say that um, police officers, correctional officers, and military specifically combat related MLSs uh, careers they are the most susceptible to um, these suicidal tendencies because they're not properly treated. As I said, a lot of these situations would result in them losing their jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had friends in the military who were suicidal. And if I reported them, they were so upset just simply because, you know, you, you jeopardized my career. And I'm thinking, well, yeah. I'd rather have you living than you were, you know, right in this, this environment that's clearly not working for you mentally. Um, but, you know, I do think also it's just a lack of education as well. Um, we focus so much on those labeled mentally ill. We kind of let the people fall through the cracks who seem well adjusted. Um, you know, the high school kid who's got a really pretty girlfriend and he, you know, is captain of the football team he might not get recognized for having some mental crises if, you know, his parents get divorced and he's stressed with school and he didn't get the scholarship he wanted. And, um, mm-hmm. everybody just kind of looks at him and, Oh no, 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 he's fine. He's, you know, he's not depressed or bipolar. He's fine. Right. He's the one you don't uh, have to worry about. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. how I think it, it's treated in these high, high trauma careers, like the military or police. It's, oh, no, 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 like, they're strong, they're, you know, tough guys, and then we fail to say, I mean, how many people look at a cop and say, hey, like, how are you doing? You you deal with a lot of sad things daily. How are you doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I assume that they have, I mean, I don't know much about law enforcement other than what I see on television, but I assume they have some sort of um, therapist available, but um, I can imagine they don't take advantage of it very often if that's the case and they're afraid of the stigma yeah i'm not i'm not super versed in, in that um i do know in certain situations with law enforcement and military if you're taking medication for um mental health like like um an antidepressant or anti-anxiety or something you can get in trouble for that so mm-hmm. i mean it's all kind of hit or miss it's also hit or miss do you have a supportive unit? Do you have supportive peers? You know, um, I think a large part of the problem with the, the veteran suicide is that people don't ask until it's kind of too late. Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of ignore the warning signs because, um, you know, so for instance, in the military culture, you know, drinking is a huge part of military culture. So if your buddy gets out of the military and he's drinking himself to sleep every night, most people don't think, oh, that might not be um, very productive. That might be a sign of, you know, mm-hmm. impending danger. And um, so they said, I think it all boils down to just um, they're not educated. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of you, what you do then with the uh, 
the foundation is to try and get that information out there. And you said you do like books and pamphlets and things like that. Yeah. So we have a book, it's healthy living with bipolar disorder. Um, it's a, a compilation of different clinicians who write chapters on the disorder. And, um, some people prefer to get one for themselves, one for their clinician. I know, um, peer support groups have all gotten the book and they like use that to facilitate their group. Okay. Um, some people give it to their caregivers because a lot of the times we deal with caregivers who are saying, how can we help our loved ones? Um, mm-hmm. But then we have our website. And, and one thing I'm very passionate on is sharing these stories. Um, I'm really stubborn. So <laughs> I always take on the hard cases. So when I started here in January, I'm like, all right, we have this blogging program. It's fantastic. But I want to hear from the communities that really do not talk about mental health, the veteran community, law enforcement, the black community, mm-hmm. um, different religious communities, you know, and so I try to get everybody's story and kind of show how diverse this disorder is. Um, you know, I do see a large problem where people think it's one size fits all. If you don't fit the certain criteria, oh, you're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I came into this, I'm, rather high functioning and so um probably subconsciously I do it maybe a little consciously but I'm very good at kind of hiding some of my issues right and those that show people just write off as oh she's young or you know they kind of find normal explanations and so when I start hearing people say well she's making it up or she doesn't have a problem I'm like huh maybe people heard more of a well-rounded view of bipolar and like diverse stories they'd understand you know it's as unique to each of us mm-hmm. as you know our individual personalities and and um so I really want to kind of help people share their story so that we can kind of reduce stigma and and help better educate people so that they know if you say hey I need help they're not going no, 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 you're fine. It's just your age. It's your hormones, you know? Yeah, it's hard for me to believe that people will still say that, oh, you're making up your symptoms or you're just, I don't know, doing it to get attention or whatever. Um, Because it's not, I mean, it's not something that most people would jump to to get attention or why would you fake the symptoms of a mental illness (laughs) to get that kind of attention? I know. I always say, like, okay, well, if I'm making this up, then that's probably a mental illness in itself. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, it's hard because it, I talk to people and, you know, the bipolar community is amazing. I've learned so much about myself um, through other people's stories, but I've also said, wow, as much as I'm similar, I'm so different. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to. As with anything, but you need to celebrate our differences. But um, I think when people stop feeling so boxed into like, well, I'm bipolar, this is how it's got to go. It's like, oh, you know, that's not. When I first started in this community, I kind of saw that it was either like people looked at it as you either can't function or you're Demi Lovato and you're like a superstar. There was like no in between. Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting. 
Yeah. So, yeah, I would consider myself one of those in-between people, you know, that I can function pretty well most of the time. But I mean, there's always those those days when, okay, can I get out of bed? Can I make it to the shower? Things like that. Um, Right. Yeah. So I would think that most people with bipolar disorder would fall into that kind of middle category. So it's kind of interesting that people would deny its existence. When it's the well, majority you know, of people. It's the media. And I think that's the big, um, you only ever see stories of bipolar in the news or in the media if it's one of these extreme cases. Mm-hmm. Can't get out of bed ever, can't hold a job. And, you know, extreme superstar, like manic Russell Brand style. And yeah, um, that's just really, I mean, when I got diagnosed at 18, that was my first thought was like, there's no way I have this because I'm not like that. Yeah. Because the only thing I knew was those two, two stereotypes. And yes, sometimes I can't get out of bed and I, you know, can't function. And yes, sometimes I have grandiose thoughts and think I am Demi Lovato or whatever. (laughs) But (laughs) like the majority of the time, it's these little subtle symptoms that I have that people don't see. Like I recently put a, a video on my Twitter and they said, look, guys, like, this is what my skin was like before. And after my last increase in medication, I broke out really bad, and I have nervous tics. So mm. I picked my face and picked it and picked it and picked it. Ouch. And so I was showing people, like, these are my scars and getting them treated. But um, I said most of my friends, family, whoever, would never, ever think to say, oh, where did these scars come from? Mm-hmm. They might say, oh, you know, like maybe just from the acne itself or whatever. But um, I don't think anybody's ever like looked at me and been like, hey, except my mom. My mom's the only person who ever was really in tune with like the ticks that I get. But um, so I was just saying, look, guys, like it's really embarrassing. My skin looks horrible, but I did it to myself because of this nervous tick. And some of my friends were like, we had no idea. And I'm like, well, yeah, because it's little. It's the littlest thing. Yeah. But I mean, it means a big deal to me. But, you know, um, you aren't going to write a movie over a girl who picks her face apart, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, unfortunately, Hollywood's a little too shallow for that. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else that you wanted to go over while I have you on the phone here? Um, no, not really. I mean, if anybody... Is interested in checking out International Bipolar Foundation and our, our free resources, um, they're welcome to go to www.ibpf.org um, or just Google International Bipolar Foundation. And if anybody's interested in maybe blogging or sharing their story, they can always um, email me. My email is agood, G-O-O-D, at ibpf.org, and I would love to help bring more awareness to, to the lives of the middle people who who really deserve um, their voices to be heard. Right. Yeah. Great. Get get all those faces of bipolar disorder out there. Right. Okay. Great. And what was your Twitter? You mentioned you you put a video on your Twitter. Oh, yeah. It's um, it's Aubrey A U B R E Y M as in Michael, and then Good G O O D. So Aubrey M Good. Okay. Great. Thank you for talking to me. I really enjoyed it. It was uh, very informative. So hopefully we can speak again. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Okay, yeah. great. All right, thanks. All right, bye-bye. And thanks so much to Aubrey again for being on the podcast. 
I really enjoyed our little chat and hopefully we can speak again. And thanks also to my sponsor for this episode, um, mydialecticallife.com. Please go check that site out and, and check out the email program as well. And as always, you can reach me at that B word one on Twitter. You can email me at Becky at that B word.com or you can find me on Facebook at that B word podcast. I don't do much on Facebook or Pinterest anymore. So if you want to join me on there, you'll probably get some forwards from Twitter, but that's about it. (laughs) All right, guys. Uh, Thanks so much for sticking with me. And hopefully the next time I talk to you, I will have a regular voice. (laughs) All right. See you next week. Bye.